We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about your kids' education and how to best save for it. You got it. Well, it's not just saving. There's lots of ways to fund kids' education. And again, kind of back to school at this time and mm-hmm. people are thinking about it. Plus the year end is uh, the deadline for our ESP contributions um, is at the end, December 31st of the year. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting. This is a time, you know, the type, time of year when people think about it. And last week we talked about RESP specifically and mm-hmm. the rule changes and, and how they work. But there's other ways to basically fund a kid's <clears> education. <throat> and uh, I'll go through the top 10 list here with uh, number one being research scholarships and bursaries. And basically, let's just see if you can get some free money out there. Mm. Um, there is lots of websites. Some of the schools offer them. I know a lot of the students will scour over seeing if they qualify for them. Um, the one that a lot of people don't really check into quite often is their parents um, workplace hmm. um, I know investors group also uh, offered this uh, as scholarship for kids mm-hmm. and you know basically you had to send in you know what the child is looking for they did right. one year mm-hmm. and they would offer so you know whatever the amount was it was but every bit helps whether it's a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars or fifteen hundred dollars it's free money and uh, it's it's out there and you know why not do this before the time rather than boy i didn't know about that Mm -hmm. so anyway so there's lots of extra money out there but you have to do the research there is lots of cash out there and most most times i I feel that people don't aren't aware of it Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you know if you look at your own group plan at work you think well should i do my uh contribute to the kids resp uh to your own RRSP rather, mm-hmm. and there's matching. Well, did they actually check into that? Well, there's also this option quite often, and it's usually a legacy. Somebody that worked there left a pot of money just for this cause, mm-hmm. and it's named after that person. Right. Okay. Um, number two, look into financial aid and guidelines. Canada.ca. If you if you Google that, um, type in student aid, you can find out whether you qualify for grants or loans. Mm-hmm. And I know. Uh, OSAP is kind of the old school, and yeah. uh, we I think we called it the the stereo fund, and there was all sorts of names for it when going OSAP back thirty party. years. Yeah, <laughs> check came in OSAP party. Yeah. Um, by, by the way, these loans do have to get paid back. Yes. Okay. I don't Grant. mean to sound irresponsible on the financial <laughs> show. Was that for the Contiki tour fund or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody used to take. Yes. Exactly. Oh, Spring no. break somehow. Yes. <laughs> um, kidding aside, there is funds there, and see if you qualify, especially after a. A mature students. Sometimes you may not qualify as uh, for your undergrad, mm-hmm. but after onto the fifth year, you quite often do because it doesn't go after, uh, doesn't look at your parents' income anymore. Mm. Okay, so that's Canada.ca and type in student aid. Also uh, on the scholarship front, check out ScholarshipCanada.com. That's another uh, website that will see if you do qualify mm. for any scholarships, um, if need be. Um, you may have to tap into some of your own savings. Now, this one here is, uh, you know, you got to really check everything else first. I'm not a big fan of of, of using your tax-free savings account money, unless yeah. it was saved for that purpose. Yeah. Um, but s- I would look at that first, the TFSA money, and say, okay, there's an option. At least it's not taxable mm-hmm. when you cash it in. Right. And this is kind of part, this is the, you know, both the double-edged sword with tax-free savings accounts. 
they're easy to get to. Mm-hmm. That's the good part. And the bad part is they're easy to get to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Because next thing you know, you don't have any funds. Yeah. Um, RSPs, I would not recommend for the kids' education because again, now you're really touching your own retirement. Right. And if going were, into your own RSP, RS, uh, exactly registered retirement savings plans. Yeah. Put it this way: if you were a police officer, nurse, teacher, or anybody with a defined benefit plan. You wouldn't even consider. Oh, geez, can I uh, check uh, yeah. check into k- taking some funds out of that pension? Yeah, it doesn't even cross your mind. But funny enough, RSPs it does. Mm-hmm. So I definitely don't recommend that. It's hard enough for people to retire as it is now. Yeah, never mind pulling out RSP monies to help for education. So TFSAs are an option. A uh, number four, have your kids contribute. There's an idea. No, there's a good one. That's no. it. I'm pretty sure you get a job, uh, Junior. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you worked, didn't you? There's yes, Scott? yes. And I know Andy and I definitely yep. worked. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, you, you can definitely work up to 15 hours a week, mm-hmm. part time throughout the week, and it's been proven it doesn't actually hurt your education. Yeah. Okay. Now there is some courses that perhaps like maybe first year engineering. Yeah. I'm um, certain weeder years, if you will, like second year's commerce was a tough year. Yeah. But there's certain courses that, okay, maybe you may want to lay off too much during the school year. Right. But certainly during the summertime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I have a friend that developed a spreadsheet. Quite interesting. You know, he's he's somewhat uh, organized and, and a little computer-minded, great with Excel. And he took the RESP money he set aside, and he said, okay, let's say it's 40000 So here's 10000 per year. Mm-hmm. Well, and here's the cost per year. How much do you have to work? A year to contribute to this right and in this of course you also have to look at you know how much fun you want to have mm-hmm. okay there's fun money in there and it worked it out and followed it month by month how much you have to work mm-hmm. and it really helped the kids out they, they had three kids and they all worked off the spreadsheet really and they said here's your cost and it gives them the goal mm-hmm. you need to work this many this many dollars. Yeah. Uh, I know one had three part-time jobs in the summer. Couldn't yeah. find a full-time, yeah. but the three part-time jobs were great. Yeah. And she overhit her goal, right. which just means yeah. she'll likely have more fun during the yeah. year too, okay? Yeah. But the, the, the whole point is it's nice to have a number in mind because it sets the sights on a goal. Yeah. Okay. Um, our ESPs, I, again, we've touched on that last week. I can't say enough about them. Start early and keep contributing and don't say it's only the parents that need to look at this. Um, If it's aunts, uncles, um, grandparents, brothers, sisters, look at it as a... Shake them down. You know, it takes a community sometimes to put a kid to university. Yeah, really. Add money to that. And I often say, uh, you know, why don't you ask the grandparents for some help here? When when things cost $80,000 for school, Hmm. um, I look at that, it's money well invested, really uh, money well invested. Yeah. And I... You know, this uh, past week, Bob, Brian Maroney and ex, uh, Francis ex, 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 Xavier, that's the one. Yep. I can't even pronounce it. I, I went by it in the summer, actually. Yeah. Anyway, that school there, he uh, he opened up there the Institute of Government. It's the only one. I guess there was a, it's a huge building, 93,000 square foot building. It's going to be called Maroney Hall. And, of course, that's our ex-Prime uh, Minister, and he also got the Order of Canada, mm-hmm. uh, similar to our local uh, Ron Foxcroft here in our area, mm-hmm. that same award. And it was interesting, going back to the old days, in his speech, he was talking about, you know, growing up as a son of a pulp and paper yeah. t- town. You know, mm-hmm. it was a pulp and paper town in northeast Quebec, and... Uh, 
he was looking at being an apprentice there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what people did. You know, you lived in the town, and then you worked for the pulp and paper industry. Yeah. And, you know, his, his father, who is Benedict Mulroney, he, and he quoted, he says, I know, Brian, that times are tough, and we'll, we sure could use that extra money you're bringing, but I've learned one thing. The only way out of a paper town is through the university door. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to university. Mm-hmm. And so they scraped up enough money to put him through university. And, you know, and here you go, 64 years later, he's opening mm-hmm. up a whole new wing of this university. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you can't say enough. And really, you can get into these traps of whatever your parent did, you did. Yeah. And university education in general will get you to another opportunity. You mm-hmm. may want to do what there is and you may end up doing exactly what you were your parents were doing that's unlikely though it certainly opens up the doors um so number six is certainly look at the grandparents help and you know why wait for any kind of uh inheritance if you will it's grandparents if they look at the opportunity if they're if they're doing well what a great chance to say contributing to the resp mm-hmm. and there's family ones that they also can add to so that if you know one doesn't go to university, it goes to the next. Yeah. It's purely a university right. fund. It's not just for the the kids to do what they like to do. Right. Okay. Number seven is life insurance. Uh, life insurance is it's interesting. A lot of people look at insuring their mortgage in case mm-hmm. of a death. Their mortgage is paid off. Insurance your income because if you die, well, you got to make sure anybody financially dependent on you will still have enough money to live. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I wouldn't say comfortably, but live okay. Mm-hmm. But quite often, education is overlooked. And when education is looking at costing, say, $80,000 for a four-year course, that's a, that's a pretty sizable money yeah. amount of money, and especially yeah. if you say you have three kids. Mm-hmm. That's $240,000. You certainly would you certainly would insure a mortgage for $240,000. Yeah, good point. Think of this the same way. And number eight, invest in a child's talents. So you never know what they're good at. They could be a great hockey player or artist or what have you. And certainly the U.S. is great at scholarships. Mm-hmm. I got to say, you, d- you have to do more homework in terms yeah. of the quality of the schools down there. Uh, Canada has all great universities, in my opinion. Uh, the U.S. has a big range. So mm-hmm. even though you may be offered a scholarship, you, you got to do your homework there. Yeah. But still, um, it, it opens people's minds and, and gives them a lot of open doors by being great at something. Right. And uh, number nine, research the post-secondary costs. Not all university and colleges are treated equally. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, say, Queen's commerce program may be more expensive than Western's commerce program. Right. And how many years? And what are the costs to live there? Maybe uh, a smaller area, Laurentian, for example, may cost less because right. it's cheaper rent there. Sure. And you'll still get the same bachelor of engineering or what have you by mm-hmm. going to that school. So go through each school and find out the costs. There are spreadsheets available so they can work out those costs. And uh, number 10, document a plan. Andy and I always talk about a plan. Now, usually it's a financial plan in general, but you should do, be doing an education plan and look at all the sources of money that you can bring in and mm-hmm. all the expenses and really go back to that spreadsheet of looking what does it cost and make sure your child is involved in this plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they, they get immersed in this themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's really a, a partnership in education rather than it's a free ride. Yeah, really. So they really came to five key ways to accumulate money for education. Number one, begging. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Get that free money from the government. Okay, any kind of free money is good. Or scholarships uh, at the universities. Number two, borrowing. 
getting government grants, mm-hmm. um, potentially student loans. You know, depending on the loans, uh, the interest may be tax deductible too. Number, number three, stealing. Okay. Well, I was talking about stealing. It's cashing in your investments or cashing in, perhaps you have to sell a car, yeah. you know, cash in in something to pay for education. Or an RRSP plan. Or, yeah. Is that it? Yep. Okay. That, that's another way. So not our, our favorite choice in these, but uh, again, it is what it is. It's an investment for your future. Number four, which I particularly like is sweating. Okay. Mm. Get those kids out there working. Yeah. Let them feel like if they're working for their education, they have a vested interest. They're going to work that much harder to make sure they can do well. It's amazing how efficient you can be when you you have deadlines, you Mm -hmm. have a job, and you're putting your own sweat equity into it. And lastly is saving. And that would be particularly the RESPs and putting money into those and start those early. Put all these together and you can have a very good education plan. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about creating a retirement income. Creating, creating your retirement income plan. And this really, when you think about the retirement planning process, uh, it's probably the most stressful period of time for mm. almost everybody. Um, you know, when you're starting out and you're young, you think about that big, the big first financial crisis is about buying a house typically yeah. and figuring out how to, how do we do mm. that? Can we afford it, et cetera. And then life carries on and you raise kids and all the other financial issues that you're going to deal with and opportunities. But then comes the time as the kids are leaving home and you're beginning to think about, Jesus, not far away. I, I, I wouldn't mind being able to retire myself and mm. what kind of income am I going to have? Where is it going to come from and how do I structure that? And um, is it going to last? Am yeah. I going to be okay? And so really, it's, uh, I mean, the purpose of creating a retirement income plan is to really feel more confident about the future and more confident about your retirement going forward. And uh, so one of the key things is to understand part of that vision is understanding, you know, how much retirement income will you have and as well, how much will you need? And uh, just in this week, having a conversation with a client who was um, in her late 50s and uh, on her own right now and uh, working a couple of different jobs, et cetera, and really struggling, but at the same time trying to figure out how to create her own retirement income. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about, we worked through what all of her expenses were and how much she was uh, cost on a monthly basis. But the truth about her, her retirement was she wanted in her dream to spend at age 65, would be able to be six months in, in Canada and six months in Italy. Nice. You know, in, mm. in a villa somewhere, Beauty, Amalfi huh? Coast. So mm, nice. sounds great, right? How much is all that going to cost? And she said, you know what, it's probably unrealistic, but if I could get there for a month or two, that would be great. So mm-hmm. you start thinking about what it's going to cost, and then you can kind of begin to work back- backwards. So as part of those sources of income we were looking at is certainly what is she going to qualify in terms of uh, Canada Pension Plan, right? What is she going to get in terms of old age security? And that question came up only because she was, uh, she's, for a period of time, she had married a U.S. citizen and was living in Las Vegas mm. for about 
almost 20 years, Mm -hmm. and then that ended in a divorce and came back to Canada about uh, 10 years ago. So you have to have at least 40 years uh, to get your maximum old age security. And uh, so she'll be fine. It'll, it'll work out just, it'll work out all right. But, uh, so old age security, and then of course your, your employment related sources. So there might be a company pension plan, maybe a group RRSP that you've got, a deferred profit sharing plan. Uh, and then you get into your personal sources. What have you done in terms of RRSPs? How much can, how much have you built up there? Non-registered investments, uh, maybe guaranteed investment funds. These are like segregated funds. And uh, maybe equity in your home as well for downsizing. And then you get into other sources like part-time employment maybe. Is there going to be income from rental? Do you have any business assets? What about vacation property, equity, or other savings? And, um, and then also annuities. And I was coming back to annuities because when you don't have a guaranteed income source, it does have an impact in terms of how you think about spending. Mm-hmm. It perhaps restricts you in some ways because you're always concerned about, am I spending too much of my money or will it out, will I outlive it, et cetera. And so the purpose of an annuity is to try and help you, free you up a little bit to spend that or feel more confident going mm-hmm. forward at the end of the day. And so a, a good analogy was, and I, and I read an article, this was back in um, May, talking about planning for retirement and trying to avoid the annuity paradox. And the paradox, the annuity paradox basically in in the story was uh, in talking with a retired client who had a defined benefit pension plan, so a regular monthly income, uh, steady income coming in every month, and also had significant savings that they'd built up in terms of, it was a stock portfolio of about $800,000. So combination of a defined benefit pension plan every month, plus a stock portfolio of 800,000. So the question was put to them, well, would you take part of your savings, your 800,000 and buy a life annuity with it? Mm. And the answer was a, was a resounding, no, no, I don't want to do that. I've got my, I need those, I need that savings. Sure. And so, but the opposite question was, well, what if your, what if your employer allowed you to cash in your defined benefit pension plan and take the money out? Would you do that? Hmm. Well, no, I wouldn't do that either. Because, well, why not? Because I like that steady monthly income. So the paradox is, is that as much as we don't think about buying an annuity when we have savings, uh, we wouldn't get rid of that annuity in the sense of a pension plan right. if we had the option. And that's really what a, a, an annuity is, is just to come back to that, is basically instead of receiving a uh, guaranteed monthly income from your employer, your previous employer under a pension plan, you'd be receiving a regular steady guaranteed monthly income from an insurance company. Right. And that's what an annuity does. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... The, the, the thought around the thoughts around annuity planning then begins to, to look at, well, we understand that really probably having the opposite of that is if you just had savings and no annuity, so 100% of your money was in savings versus say like a civil servant or somebody who has 100% of their money is in a defined benefit pension plan and they may not have a lot of savings. So you have the two extremes. Right. It probably doesn't make sense in a perfect world, you wouldn't want to have 100% of one or 100% of the other. So there's a perfect blend of having some pension uh, that's guaranteed monthly income and then also having savings. And so the analogy that they went on to to, um, explore was a scenario where let's say we had somebody who had built up 
a couple that's both 65 and they're retired. They've built up $600,000 in RRSP money. And now they also get their Canada Pension Plan and old age security. And in looking at how that money would be invested, we were able to determine with just a computer analysis and looking at uh, statistics in terms of how long we could, how much you could take out and still have it last for your lifetime, that roughly you could get a range of between $56,000 and $70,000 a year. That would be their retirement income. So that's all sources. Mm -hmm. So income from their savings, income from Canada Pension Plan, and income from old age security. Now, what the suggestion was, what if you took 25% of your RRSP money, 25% of that $600,000, so that'd be $150,000, and you use that to purchase a life annuity at age 65 that was a joint annuity for both spouses till till they die. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you do that is that that income range, so under the current situation, just savings, they could get, and it's going to fluctuate because stock markets fluctuate, right? So they could get maybe 56,000 at the low end, as high as 70,000 in a good year, but there's a lot of fluctuation there. By adding in the annuity, their range of income narrows. Mm-hmm. And so at the bottom end, it would be a minimum of 60,000 instead of uh, 56. And at the high end, it would be as much as 69,000 instead of 70. So you see what's happened is that their confidence in terms of how much income they have has shifted from being 56 to 70 yeah. to being 60 to 69. Mm-hmm. And when you ask somebody, would you rather have a steady income that's more predictable? Yeah but it could be a little bit less versus uh, a wider a wider range of income each year that's going to be unpredictable, which would you prefer? Mm-hmm. And almost universally, people prefer to have a more predictable income during yeah. retirement and knowing that this is going to last for their entire life. Yeah. So that paradox of annuities is... Um, is something that I think it's driven from it's, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so because annuities are, oh, I don't really understand them, that basically doing nothing is the simplest approach yeah. because it's too complex. I don't want to get into it. You know, it, it seems like a risk or something. I'm just going to stick with the status quo. That's going to be the easiest way out of this. So when I think about an annuity, um, here's a great example of how an annuity works. And I call it, uh, the secret sauce, the secret sauce of an annuity. Mm -hmm. So bear with me on this example, but you'll kind of get the idea of what I mean by the secret sauce of an annuity. So in this, in this story, there's five widows and they're all age 95 and, uh, every month they get together to play poker. So one of them suggests that, you know what, let's raise the stakes a little bit, make this a little more interesting and let's each put in a hundred dollars on the table. And at the end of one year, whoever is still alive will split the pot, okay? So all agree and uh, they decide, you know what, we're not gonna tell our children because they'll think we're crazy. So we'll carry on and we'll do this. So one of them suggests that, well, instead of leaving the money, which is now 500 bucks cash, we don't wanna just leave it in an envelope. Let's put that into an investment and we'll assume it makes 5%. So one year later, there's $525 in the pot and Statistics tell us, mortality tables tell us that at age 95, 20% of the group will die after one year. Mm. So one person, in fact, one year later, indeed one member passed away. Mm -hmm. And so how did the remaining four make out? 
Well, they had 525 bucks. Now divided by four is $131.25. Mm-hmm. So they made 31.25% on their $100 investment. 100 bucks, they got $131.25 back. <laughs> so how did that, where did that come from, right? How does that, how does that happen? Well, we knew the $100, that was easy. Mm-hmm. That was the original capital, so they got that back. The 5% interest, uh, that was uh, $6.25. And $25 came from what we call mortality credits. Yeah. Someone left the group. Someone left the group. Yeah. And so basically that the concept of an annuity is that you can get an enhanced income because of the mortality credits, which is the secret sauce to an mm-hmm. annuity. Um, you know, if you die early, it's it does end and there's yeah. no doubt about it, but yeah. you don't have any financial worries at that point. So No, that's true. <laughs> so you know, life <clears throat> life is still life has been good all the way up to that point. So an annuity kind of is a way to create your own personal pension plan and make sure that you've got that guaranteed income. As we know, who wants to give up a defined benefit pension plan? Mm-hmm. Nobody does. Yeah. But yet we're still so reluctant to think about buying an annuity, which mirrors exactly what that does for mm. us. So anyway, coming back to the, the creating our retirement income plan, I think that um, annuities are something that are often overlooked. And uh, I think it, that's a key part to this whole process. So. Step one in the process of creating a retirement income is certainly understanding our, our Canadian retirement income system, the old age security, guaranteed income supplement, the allowance, and of course, Canada Pension Plan. And we could spend a whole show talking about Canada Pension Plan and the options and various strategies around that. But you want to optimize it, and that would be a goal for Don and I, what we would do is look at various scenarios. What if you deferred, what if you started at 65? What if you deferred till another few years? What if you deferred till 70, et cetera? So that's the, um, our, the, the government pensions. Tier two is our private pensions and group RRSPs. And most employers, larger employers today, offer some kind of group pension plan where you're contributing. So it's a defined contribution plan. Or maybe there's a shared or um, a group RSP where there's a matching program on those as well. So how is that? How much income can that come from? And then tier three of your ret- of your retirement income is going to be your personal savings. So how you structure that is going to be depending on the source. Is it TFSA? Is it RSP? Or is it non-registered? The step two is to develop the income plan. And that's where Don and I come in. And really, we're going to start making sure we understand what your expenses are. How much does it cost you to live? Uh, we can calculate your income. And that's probably, in some ways, that's the easy part because we can figure out exactly after tax mm-hmm. based on this income, here's how much money you're going to have available. Um, we can't always control your spending, but yeah. we, can, we can clearly identify what you're going to have in your pocket. And then we can design a retirement plan. And we want to make sure that we have something that's steady income. We talked about annuities, but we also want to make sure that we're meeting or dealing with inflation along the way as well. Step three is about being tax efficient. So uh, how can we put more? It's not always what you make, right? It's what you keep. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of structuring your retirement income, your non-registered investments can go, we can go a long way to understanding minimizing tax by structuring those properly. And income splitting is obviously a key strategy as well, both your pensions and your, um, uh, and your Canada pension plan as well. And then we get into RIF withdrawals and how do we, how do we structure that? How, how much do we take out? How quickly do we deplete your RIF? 
Uh, we all talked about in the show before the, the rift tax time bomb that mm-hmm. if you die early and there's a lot of money in there, anything over 220,000 in this country of income is uh, considered taxed at 53 and a half percent. So it's, it's a big number. Um, you know, maybe you'll be working part-time. What about some employment income? Maybe you have a business. Are you still taking dividends out or paying yourself a salary? So there's other sources of income that we need to understand to be tax efficient. And the one last thing is, and hopefully I think it's supposed to start in 2020, is the ALDA, the Advanced Life Deferred Annuity. Yes. And, you know, the biggest concern I I would suggest with most people near retirement or at retirement is outliving their money. Uh And that peace of mind, as Andy was just mentioning about, okay, I'll save some. I'm not going to live too much. Now, I'm always, we always talk about underliving. Mm -hmm. People are underliving because they have this pot of money and they don't have a guaranteed income. Uh So if they knew that at age 85... (coughs) They knew a new income stream would kick in. Well, maybe they would live differently till that age. Yeah. And this is where this advanced life deferred annuity should kick in. Now, we I haven't heard. I, I just was Googling um, w- if there's any new news on it. Uh, as far as I know, it's supposed to kick in in 2020, and I hope it does. Because yeah. I think it's a great option to take a piece of your RSP money that will be highly tax likely and move it to this annuity. Basically, it's insurance of getting old. Yeah. And uh, hopefully... At age 85, it kicks in and you have uh, another whole phase to your life. Peace of mind and and security as well. So uh, so step one, two, three. Step four is about consolidating and simplifying. And and I can't stress that enough because so often we end up with pieces of bank accounts and different investment companies and everything spread out all over the place. Mm -hmm. Your retirement income is going to be so much easier to manage and for you to understand what you can spend and how to spend it if you can consolidate everything and get rid of all those extras. Get rid of all the extras. And finally, I guess my comment would be that, um, you know, you've spent a lifetime preparing for retirement by being disciplined by putting money away, by looking after reducing debt and doing all the things right. And now you're going to be making some of the most important decisions about your future when it comes to the time of retirement. Take the time, talk to us about creating a retirement income plan. We'd be happy to make sure that you're on the right track. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call 905-529-7165. They'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, your retirement and your pets. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you know what? One thing about uh, retirement, and particularly for senior citizens, it's been proven that having a cat or a dog Mm -hmm. will help you emotionally, anxiety, live longer for that matter. Um, Healthy because you're walking a dog. Mm -hmm. And it's been proven dog walkers live longer because they're walking. Mm -hmm. They, They force them to get exercise. And the, but the problem, I do talk to some, some seniors and they're saying, well, you know, if I were to die before the dog, where does Fido end up? Yeah. Okay. And that's a great question. Oh, and by the way, does anybody want a parrot? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We might be getting some calls here, Andy. <laughs> and that is probably what goes on is probably, does anybody want my dog or anybody want my cat? Yeah. And, uh, 
You know, uh, being a, a Jack, <laughs> uh, we, we, we've always had Jack Russell Terriers and, uh, over the years, and others have favorite breeds. But now you can't pass those to other people because they don't like other people. Right. They love Ooh, they're they're <laughs> one family dog. That's uh, it, that's uh, this one's pretty cool okay. as long as you, you know, you have to cozy up to it. But still, uh, it might take a couple months. Maybe you should buy the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> Our dog will eat it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's interesting. These dogs, they live a long time. Yeah. They, to have a, a Jack Russell or some of the other smaller breeds live for 18 years is not uncommon. Really? Yeah, ours have wow. all lived 14 to 15. Really? And they could have wow. lived longer. So No wonder they're yeah. so cranky. <laughs> <laughs> and high energy. Now, nothing worse than cranky and high energy. Yeah, there you, <laughs> you go. Know. But it's, it's, what do you do with this? And so the, there's a few things. It's, you could have a, an addition to your will, okay, and say, here's the rules that I would like to have with my dog or cat or pet. And, you know, Parrot. the th- thing is, is you should really let the people know. Okay, first of all, that yeah. they are the beneficiaries. What if they don't want five? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And this is the case. <clears throat> but it's one thing to say, okay, here you go. But you better leave some cash along with this thing. Yeah, because, yeah really. you know, why should this person be saddled with your pet and the cost of yeah. running, having, you know, food, sure. vet, yeah. any kind of, you know, vet. Especially as it gets older. As it gets older, you know, mm-hmm. just like humans, most of the vet bills come at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you should set an amount. Now, it doesn't have to be an ironclad type of arrangement. It could be simply, you know, you speak to somebody and it's a little more loosey-goosey. Um, but more likely, you should have something written down because people might have a convenient memory loss when yeah. it comes to actually receiving the pet. <laughs> and so, so because you really don't want you have your pet end up in a shelter um, or you don't want to hurt the person financially that does receive it, even if they're a pet lover. They don't want to be, okay, well, I got to take on uh, yeah. you know, Coco, and yet uh, I don't have the money to afford this dog, but you don't want to turn it down. So some are very relaxed and formal arrangements, and others are very rigid. Now, this is interesting, and you hear it all the time. I'm just going to leave uh, my estate to my pet. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. And he's getting a million dollars, or she's getting a million dollars, and that's the way it is. Well, in Canada, thankfully... They are considered. You can't do that. They are considered property. Uh-huh. They're considered like a chair, right? <laughs> okay, or a house or a car. They cannot receive they don't an have inheritance. An identity, yeah. Okay, really. And I did not know this. So you can't do that in Canada. Yes, I had looked up this and I had double checked, and so owners cannot bequeath dollars or assets to their pet directly. Ah. Okay. You have to give it to someone to look after it. You have to right. give it to a guardian. Right. And the guardian's job is to look after the pet. Right. Thankfully, that yeah. is the case. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because so an ironclad arrangement where you would actually leave specific instructions like the number of vet vi- visits you would have, mm. the type of dog food or cat food they eat, you know, and, and, and you have this, you have a caregiver <laughs> and you have a trustee. They're two separate people. So the caregiver looks after your pet and the trustee looks after the money to give to the caregiver. Right. And you think about it, you know. Not uh, necessarily, there's, that way there's no conflict. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no conflict of interest. You know, because if the dog or cat dies early, quite often the money will go to the caregiver or the trustee. Well, you don't oh, want that's not a good clause. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, think that one through. And, uh, so, I let him out for a pee. I never <laughs> saw him again. I don't know what happened. <laughs> And next thing you know, there you have a couple extra dollars and a, maybe a new car in the driveway. <laughs> exactly. So, 
So the, it, it, tr- it would pay a specific amount to the caregiver so that they don't, they don't have any financial issues over mm-hmm. this. And it makes so much sense because, you know, I look at uh, some of my, you know, my in-laws directly, you know, their dog may outlive it. Uh, we don't particularly want the dog. So this is why you also want Do you want to be talking about this on the radio? They might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they have Thanksgiving a dinner may not be good for you this year. <laughs> exactly. So you should have alternative <laughs> caregivers and alternative trustees. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Just like you would for people. Mm-hmm. So you think of this as if it was your son or daughter until they're age 18 or whatever. You have a, you have a caregiver, a guardian, and you, are, and you have a trustee for them. Treat the pets the same way because to a certain extent, they may cost more. Okay? Yeah. You know, they can be expensive. And so having this all set up, and there is some uh, humane societies that operate stewardship programs. So basically, the estate leaves money to the society, and then the society would then look after a home for the foster home oh, for the pet. like a dad. But again, wow. it still comes down to leaving money to somebody or yeah. some or the society and if there's some cash involved your pet will be looked after all right we are planning your financial future or fido's <laughs> uh 905-529-7165 you can call now and leave a message don and andy will return your call gonna take a quick break here we're coming right back oh don't forget about the website andyanddon.com that's andyanddon.com you can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button we're coming right back we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson andy lister and don fox are here from ig private wealth management you can call them now and leave a message they'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com that's andyanddon.com going to talk about gifting money to people uh, yeah th- this this week i had a great conversation with some clients of mine and they're sort of in that sandwich generation period right now they're in their late 60s dealing with uh, parents that are aging oh, wow. and transitioning into either a retirement home or even long-term care and um, and also their adult children who are now you know getting married and all the grandchildren are coming along and so they're doing everything they've got all this happening and um, so over the course of the uh, the summer the, um, the the woman's mother uh, took a turn and it was really she had been uh, she had been suffering from dementia and uh, or probably Alzheimer's or mm-hmm. a version of it for the last few years and um, and living in her own home right. and her uh, husband had died of Alzheimer's about uh, eight years ago so she's now 93 and uh, had been living on her own in her own home here in wow. Hamilton and doing great uh, looking after the garden life was great mm-hmm. and just a slow deterioration over the last year particularly which um, uh, which then culminated in a situation so where the the couple went decided to take a trip they went to uh, wanted to go to Italy for three weeks and they were concerned about the mother so they decided why don't you move into a retirement home for the three weeks you'll get meals because she was visiting on a regular almost daily basis to make sure that mom was okay so this was a good solution they thought and she agreed mom mom agreed the 93 year old so um, then while in there something happened that just triggered her dementia and she ended up with uh, causing some disruptions and 
pulling a fire alarm and mm-hmm. a lot, a few things were happening. And, and then the retirement home said, we can't keep her. Yeah. We have to move her to a different level of care, uh, a lockdown floor. So this is all happening. And now the dementia has progressed to the point where she's permanently now going to be in a long-term care facility. Right. And they found a great spot for her. And that's the, so that's the, uh, there's a good outcome to this. But what it led to was that now they're in the process of having to sell her home. Mm-hmm. And, and she knows, and she's aware that the home is going to be sold and she's agreed to it. So, um, but in her wishes, she'd always thought she had one grandson of all, and that was it, mm-hmm. that she wanted to give half the value of that. Well, originally she wanted to give the whole house to the grandson, right. but and in later years decided, you know what, I want to give half the value of, of the house to my grandson. And uh, so this got into a discussion about gifting money to mm-hmm. children and what the implications of that would be. And it was, um, there's a lot of twists and turns. So the, the first thing I said, well, what does her will say? And her will says that everything goes to her one daughter, my client. Mm-hmm. And so there was no mention in the will about um, giving half the home or anything to the grandson. And, um, and now the problem is, is that she can't change her will. Right. She's lost capacity right. to be able to make those financial decisions. Right. And so nothing can be changed in the will. And even the capacity to gift is now in question. Mm-hmm. Does she right. have, you know, there were good days and bad days. Right. And so this is where from uh, a regulatory pr- perspective and our, and what Don and I do and compliance, et cetera. You, you, it's very tricky yeah. to, uh, to navigate this. So the home's going to be sold. And then the thought was, what if a gift was made to the son? So let's call it $500,000 property, 250000 going to the grandson, I should say. And so um, a lot of times people will gift money to their children. And in case this son, the grandson's married. Mm-hmm. So the concern would be, what if that relationship breaks down right. and now half that 250,000, 125,000 is going to be split based mm-hmm. on a division of assets because it's a gift. And so the one solution we talked about was, well, what if it was made as a loan? And so as a promissory loan, a promissory note was created that would gift them, gift him $250,000, give him 250,000, loan him 250,000 at a 0% interest rate but um, with a demand, 30-day demand note, meaning that at any point she could ask for the money back mm-hmm. or her power of attorneys could ask right. for the money back. And the purpose of that was to protect the assets in case of a marital breakdown. So this happens a lot where you see parents wanting to give money to their adult children mm-hmm. or even grandparents maybe to help them buy a house, for example. Sure. So one of the things that you want to do in your will is you want to make sure how you're going to treat that. In this case, it was simple because there was no other siblings. So mm-hmm. she could just forgive the loan without right. any issue. But in many cases, sometimes parents want the loan to be paid back by their adult child so that then the estate can be equalized because a lot of times sometimes loans are given to one child but not to another right. and so how do I equalize that down the road and uh, and that could also be property cottages mm. things like that as well so the, the caveat in this is that if you're thinking about gifting money to your adult children if they're in a marriage um, consider doing it as a loan and then creating a, a, a clause in your will that forgives it and if you're gifting money to or loaning money to a child for a business or anything along that line, you need to speak to a financial planner to understand yeah. the ramifications because you want don't want any tax implications to the child. You don't want any tax implications to yourself. 
But maybe in a business situation, maybe the business goes bankrupt mm. or doesn't or fails. So how could you create a, a, a tax loss deduction for yourself? Then you've got to structure it properly. So it's a it's not a straightforward uh, situation, and everybody is different depending on the situation. But um, in general, you know, I think talk to talk to a professional, talk to Don and I, talk to your financial planner, and make sure before you're doing any significant gifting that you've got it structured properly. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Scott. Scott. See you next week.